We're in Matthew chapter 3 and 4 this morning. Hopefully we'll uh, get all the way through. There's some really incredible stuff going on here. And uh, if you'll notate on the map here, if you see where it says at the very kind of top, Capernaum, Cana, Nazareth, uh, and the Sea of Galilee. Y'all see that? Okay. That is that one general area where Jesus did 85% of his ministry. So if you guys and gals get a chance to go see the Holy Land one day, they're going to take you to Jerusalem, and you're going to want to see Jerusalem, and you're going to see itty bitty little part of what Jesus did. Most of it happened up here in Capernaum, Cana, Nazareth. Nazareth is where Jesus is from. Capernaum is where Peter's from. Jesus lived with Peter for a majority of the ministry. When he wasn't on the road, he stayed at the Holiday Inn Express a la the Apostle Peter. Notice how Capernaum is right there on the Sea of Galilee. When we start talking about um, fish boats and fisher, fishers of men, all those weren't just cute little marketing things that Jesus came up with. That's what they understood, and that's how Jesus spoke to them. Uh, we, won't, uh, we won't deal too much with the modern Christian propaganda we have to deal with, but Jesus wasn't into that. He was trying to set a tone for his followers. Now, I point you there to ignore it for now. Uh, come all the way south of Sea of Galilee, down the Jordan River, down past to where it gets to Jericho. Do y'all see Jericho on your map? Okay, now that's where we're going to live a little bit this morning. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Notating again, Matthew is writing his gospel to a Christian church that is probably 90 to 95% Jewish. If you were a Gentile Christian in the church, you were a minority. Any Jewish descendants here? There are no hands, seeing none. We all miss something absolutely flabbergasting in this passage that the Jews would have They'd have picked up on it right away, and they went, wow, Jesus did that? And all of us Gentiles are going, what happened? Right? So check this out. Um, verse 1. Now, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jazz, what is, what is his sermon in verse 2? Repent of your sins. Uh-huh. All right, you have, a, you have a nice translation. That's very flowery. Mine's New American. It's succinct. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right? Verse 3, for this one is referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 2 is a quote from John the Baptist. Verse 3 is Matthew adding commentary. So John the Baptist wasn't out there going, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. And Matthew's like, that's, that's for us. That's for us Jews. That's from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. That was a prophecy saying before the Messiah comes, God's going to send a vanguard, a go-ahead, a go-forward, and he's going to prepare the path. So John's out there preaching uh, really hot, really energetic sermons, and Matthew's like, and by the way, this was prophesied. So that verse 3 is not part of the sermon. Verse 4, now John, that is John the Baptist himself, had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Again, 
We totally miss this in the English translation, but to the Jewish mindset, this would have sent up a flare going, oh, John the Baptist is a re a reborn version, not reincarnated, but like a, a New Testament version of an Old Testament prophet that's very popular by the name of Elijah. Over in 2 Kings chapter uh, 1, verse 8, you don't have to go there, um, but uh, Elijah is bebopping through the territory one day, and uh, the reigning king, who's a real jerk, um, sends out some messengers, and Elijah intercepts the messengers and goes, hey, you go back and tell the king you're a jerk, and then this is what God's going to do. So the messengers go back and said, hey, so king, we were going to do that thing you said for us to do, that thing, but there was a guy who stopped us and said, come back and tell you that you're a jerk. And uh, he said, what'd he look like? And they said, well, he was real hairy and he had a leather belt. Elijah was known by his appearance. Um, so when we get to John the Baptist, maybe John the Baptist didn't have as much testosterone. Maybe it's like me and Andrew over here. I can't grow a beard. He grows an amazing beard, right? Uh, and so what John the Baptist did is he put on an Elijah costume. He wanted people, when he spoke, to think of him as the prophet that is coming to pronounce the coming Messiah. So he was wearing, he was fully embracing this Elijah model. Elijah was a hot-hearted preacher. Elijah didn't pull any punches. Elijah would look at you and tell you you're a dirty, rotten rascal, and then that's, that's what God said. He didn't put any, any, put any tenderness or seasoning on it. No, here it comes, straight at you. And that's how John the Baptist was. And so that's why Matthew was like, hey, he was wearing this. He was like a new version of Elijah. And then I don't know why he told us he was eating locust and wild honey. That's, I don't know. Do, do you eat wild honey and locust? No? Okay. You feed those to your chicken though, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's close. Uh, Andrew's close to like John the Baptist. Verse 5. Then... Jerusalem, we're to read that this is the population of Jerusalem, right? Uh, Jerusalem was going out to see John the Baptist and all of Judea and all of the district around the Jordan. Now, you see that? All around the Jordan. What's the easiest way to, to get through Israel at this time? Well, on the Jordan River. So that's the kind of the superhighway. That's the information superhighway. Look at there. It's not a World Wide Web, but it's local. Um, and so everyone that was living on the Jordan River, they kept hearing, man, this John the Baptist, he's a hot preacher. Let's go hear what he has to say. And so they would go out on date night, and they'd go down to like Amerigo's, and then afterward they'd be bop over and listen to John the Baptist preach his sermon. And everyone, he was just, it was just generating a lot of publicity and he was a hot preacher, and he, we're told he was doing something else. Uh, he was getting so fired up in his sermons, he forgot, maybe he didn't forget, uh, to be polite to the people who were in charge, right? So the mayor and the, and the governor show up. And they're like, well, I heard this is a good preacher. Uh, verse 7, or ver verse 6. Um, they were, the whole area that was coming, were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, as they confessed their sins. Now, why were they confessing their sins? Go back to his sermon in verse 2. What was he telling them to do? Repent from their sins. Now, you, we, we're sitting here in room 208 at the Metagrove Baptist Church. We are Baptist 
people. Now, maybe you weren't raised Baptist or grew up Baptist, but you is Baptist now, right? You're sitting here in a Baptist church. So when we hear the word baptize, ping, we know exactly what that means, right? Yes. No. <laughs> why don't, why don't, uh, you were so close. Why don't we know what that means? Why don't we know what that means? When Matthew wrote that, what did he mean to his day and age? All right, let's talk about that. If you went back into the Old Testament and you read Matthew or Moses and Abraham or Jacob or Joshua or Daniel, do y'all remember when they got baptized? No, but if I asked for testimonials, almost all of us would say, well, when I was such and such age, I came to know Jesus and I was baptized. If you were to ask Daniel, he wouldn't include that because the baptism wasn't a ritual part of their faith. Well, if it didn't come from the Old Testament, where does baptism come from? Did it just come like lightning from the sky into John's head? It did not. Did we have some stuff written up here? Yes, we did. Remember last week we talked about the different people groups, and over here I wrote that weird word, Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S. -S -S -E -E that was a group of, we'd probably call them monks, kind of this day and age. It was a group of all men. They would live in communities by themselves. They were all the time reading scripture every day. They were looking for the return of the Messiah. Um, they were only men. Only men could join our club. It was a, a, a he-man, woman-haters club. Like, no women can come in here. Um, well, what's the problem with that? Where do you get your next generation of Essenes? Yeah, we got we to recruit. And if recruit numbers are down, we may have to adopt some kids. <laughs> and that's what they did. So if you had... Uh, oftentimes would happen parents would die off and there would be a young boy in the community kind of the ward of nobody the Essenes would say come live with us we'll feed you we'll take care of you we'll give you work and they would fall into the life and practice well I don't know if John the Baptist became an Essene but his parents were really old when they had him y'all remember that story and so they die off and a very young John the Baptist finds himself well who's going to take care of well, the Essenes had this practice. At the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament is about 450 years. We call that period of time the intertestamental period. Isn't that a novel thing to call the thing in between the testaments? The in between, the intertestamental period. Uh, and in that period of time, uh, there were a lot of we'll call evolutions and growths within the ritual community of the Jews of how were they going to maintain spiritual uh, strength if they are exiled to Babylon or if they're outside of the community? And they started something that we call synagogues. Synagogues aren't in the Old Testament, right? If you wanted to go worship God, you had to go to the temple, right? But in the intertestamental period and in, in the early ministry of Jesus, synagogues were very important. Now, where do synagogues come from? Synagogues come from 10 men who get together and say, we ought to have a synagogue. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> Lucky. We have exactly 10 men in here. We, if we all agree, we become a minion. That's what we would call the group of 10 men. And we're going to get together. I know what you're thinking. That's weird. But that's where the word comes from. Um, we are a minion. And we are going to, as a group, start a synagogue. And the first order of business is to find a rabbi. 
we got to find a teacher, right? So we're going we're gonna to take up a collection amongst ourselves as a community. We're going to go hire the best rabbi we can find. Now, if there's only 10 of us and it's a small town and we're all blue-collar workers, we're probably going to get Rabbi Johnny, right, who really loves the Lord but doesn't have a lot of education. Um, but doggone it, he really loves the Lord. And you got a great beard. You may be the rabbi. Uh, so, so they would hire a rabbi. The very next thing they would do, before they even had a building called a synagogue, they would build something, and this happens to this day, something called a mikvah, which was a pool of water. And when you sinned or you had some physical malady that you have been restored from, you would go and get into the mikvah, the, the waters. friend of mine uh, is uh, Rabbi Joey Friedman. He lives out in Denver. He was hired by... A group of people they got together they started a synagogue they said would you come out and be our rabbi and guess what was the first thing they got together and did they collected money to build a baptistry he would if he heard this podcast he would slap me uh, uh, they built a mikvah now the mikvah was used perpetually right uh, ladies after you had your monthly cycle you would go to the mikvah and you would cleanse yourself ritually and demonstrate that you are now pure with God. Men, if you went through a season of whatever, you know, discouragement or doubt, and you wanted to rededicate your life, you would go to the mikvah and be baptized, baptized, air quotes, the way they would. I think that John the Baptist was kind of associated in some way with this Essene community because his form of baptism, immersion, looks so similar to that intertestamental period style of mikvah bathing or ritual cleansing. Am I, y'all still with me? Haven't lost anybody? Good. I didn't, did I lose you? All right, you're good. All right. So G, uh, John the Baptist shows up at the Jordan River just outside the city of Jericho. Now, why would he do that? Well, let me explain. There are three major holidays on the Jewish calendar. We know two of them right off the bat. What's one of them? Passover. Passover. That's a big one. What's another one? Say it loud, proud. The, no, well, that's 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 a pretty good guess, but not that one of the top three. That Jesus was cele- Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, by the way. We'll talk about that maybe when we get there. That's that's when a young boy becomes a man. Pentecost, there's the other one, Passover, Pentecost, and here's the third one you probably know but you've forgotten, I'll remind you, called the booths, the celebration of the booths or the tabernacle of booths. Um, It's when they would get together and they would be reminded that they wandered in the wilderness and they had to live in temporary housing, so they were told that when you go into the promised land, you'll celebrate Passover when God brought you out, Pentecost, and you will. that's the 50 days after Passover under the first harvest, God has provided, and then you would celebrate the tabernacle of booths or the, or the celebration of booths where you remind yourself your roots, where you came from. Um, if you wanted to preach and you weren't exactly sure who was coming to church t- that day, but you wanted to draw a big crowd, you'd go pin yourself up between Applebee's and Nukes, right? Because you know that if nobody comes to church, they're going to go eat, right? And, and so John the Baptist position himself at a juncture point 
where three times a year people would come down the river, come down from Cana and Nazareth and Capernaum and all that area of Galilee, you know, Rankin Scott County, and they would come down through the, through the road system and then they would meet up at Jericho, just out by the Jordan River, and then they would walk the rest of the way together singing songs, singing psalms, preparing themselves to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. So he positioned himself in a uniquely good place to have a large crowd, right? So, so that's what was happening. And he's out there saying, turn from your sins, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand, and people were doing that. They were confessing their sins, and John the Baptist would say, come on in the water, fellas. The water is fine, right? And he would baptize them, or the word baptizo literally means in Greek to dip, okay? So our... Our, I will say it this way, our interpretive bias says they went all the way under. That's what the word means, uh, but that's what the Greek word is used, right? So they, he was baptizing them after they were confessing their sins. Now, if anybody likes a good ritual, if anyone likes a really good, yeah, we heard that God's really moving over here, just to make sure we don't get left out, we want to go be super spiritual with everybody else. And a group of the Sadducees and the Pharisees from Jerusalem go, hey, did y'all hear about what's happening up at the Jordan River College? Uh, let's go listen to John the Baptist. And they're out there baptizing all kind of people. Hey, better safe than sorry is what I always say, fellas, right? Right? Let's go get baptized. And John must have heard this conversation or in some way in his spirit perceived this to be true because I'm going to be honest, if someone came to be baptized... And pastor turned him around in front of the church and said, this person, if he said to this person what John the Baptist said to these people coming to get baptized, we'd get offended. Look what he says. Verse 7, when he, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bunch of jerks. Like, who told you to come out here? I didn't tell you to come out here. I don't even like you. Look what he says in verse 8. Bear the fruit in keeping with repentance. I'm not going to believe you believe in this kingdom of God until I see you starting to live like it. I'm, I'm adding a little bit of flair. You understand. Verse, verse 9, And do not suppose to you, you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. So they were coming out to him going, Well, we'll go through this ritual. It's part of the Essene rituals we've seen this before we'll be safe and sorry whatever it don't matter we'll get baptized and john called him out and then there must have been some feedback y'all ever get that with your kids you ever say something and you get feedback you did yeah uh, y'all call it something else what do y'all call it back talk there it is they must have given john some lip and he said they must have said something like this you can't stop us we're, we're the real children of Abraham. I mean, look at us. Look how good we look in our good clothes. Look how spiritual we are. Look how well we keep all the rules. And John said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't tell me you're an Abraham's son. I'm here to tell you that if he wiped all y'all out, God can, and he point us to a rock. I'm going to tell you why he points to a rock. Because out there is just rocks and water. He's like, I'm in the water. I'll point to the rock. If God wanted to raise up children, he could, could do it out of that rock right there. 
Well, they didn't like that, I guarantee you. Anyway, he goes on to say in verse 10, because he is riled up, he says, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And he's looking at the Pharisees and the Sadducees as he's preaching. And he's looking over at the poor people who are confessing their sins and being baptized, being liberated because they've repented of their sins and they're believing in this coming kingdom. And John's looking over at those Sadducees. You see these rascals? They're out here going through the ritual motions, but there's no repentance. The, tr the axe is already at the root of their tree. They're going down for real. That's a quote from a music from song. All right. All right. But then he goes on to say, verse 11, As for me, I baptize with water for repentance. But he, that person, who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I didn't get all the way through my study this week. Okay? But I had to ask the question, what did the person hearing that for the first time when John's saying it think the Holy Spirit was? Because the Holy Spirit is really kind of fleshed out a good bit in the new, not so much in the old. He's rather a mysterious character. We are told in some of the Old Testament prophets that when the kingdom of God does come, that that the people of God, their young men and their young women, their old men and their old women, will prophesy and pray. They will proclaim the truth of God. So they had some level of understanding that when this Messiah does come, that the Holy Spirit's going to do something interesting and fresh that they have not seen before, that they're not accommodating, uh, accustomed to. But he says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You're thinking right now, Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, that hasn't happened yet. And even when it happened to the disciples in Acts 3 and 4, it greatly confused the crowd. So they don't have a full understanding of what John just said, but John just laid out a huge, we'll call it a pregnant moment, a pregnant statement. It is ready to give birth, but they don't know fully what that means. Okay, you're baptizing with water, him with the Holy Spirit. Okay, sounds good. Verse 12, and he says this as he's finishing his... <laughs> his chastising of the Sadducees and Pharisees. He says, The Messiah's winnowing fork is at hand, and he will thoroughly clean his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, you know the good parts, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And he's looking over at the Pharisees going, That's you, bucko. Jerk. Right? He's saying these things to them, and they're like, Well, we don't like this guy at all. And, uh, and so this is happening day by day, and thousands of people are coming to, to hear John the Baptist preach. And hopefully maybe one of the Pharisees will show up that day, and he'll get really hot, and they'll be like, <laughs> that guy is a jerk. Um, anyway, verse 13. One day, he's out there baptizing, and Jesus arrived from Galilee. Now look at that. Arrived from Galilee. It's up there, Nazareth, Cana, Capernaum. That's Galilee. That's Rankin Scott County up there, right? He, he's up there. He's coming down to Jericho into the Jordan River, okay? He's going to follow the pilgrimage. Jesus was probably coming for one of those three major holidays. I don't think it's Passover because uh, uh, I just don't think it is. I think it's one of the other two, Pentecost or Tabernacle of Booths. But either which way, 
Um, there's some who indicate that they think it's Pentecost. I don't know for sure. But he's coming down on one of those three major holidays. Along with all of these groups of people, they're going to hook up at Jericho and head west to Jerusalem to celebrate. That's what they're going to do. And Jesus shows up in verse 13. He arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus answered and said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John the Baptist permitted Jesus. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on Jesus. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All right, quick poll. All right, we're going to phone a friend real quick. Um, I'm going to tell you, this week has been kind of an eye-opener for me on a lot of little things like this. Not little things, but a lot of things like this. Uh, I want you to do a quick raise your hand poll. Um, Jesus being baptized, we all see that in our heads, right? Baptized. Heavens open up. Spirit descends like a dove, lands on Jesus. Yes? You see that? All right. We're all in agreement there? If you think the whole crowd around that scene saw that, raise your hand. In your mind, you're thinking that. Who, who saw the Spirit descend on Jesus? The whole crowd. Give me if you believe that. Okay? Just Jesus. Okay? Jesus and John. Okay. All right. Now, I don't have time for, for sake this morning, but I want you to go back in our room. All four Gospels record this event. The Gospel of John records that John is talking with his disciples one day. Jesus comes over the hill. He leans over and goes, Behold, that's the Lamb of God. Takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and they go, How do you know that? He said, I didn't have any idea who this Messiah was going to be. You go read John chapter 1. He reads and he says this. He says, I didn't know, but God told me, God gave John the Baptist a special revelation uh, that he didn't give me or you. And he says, Look, when you see this, when you, you will know this is the one when a dove opens, open, heavens open, the dove descends and lights on him. Now, y'all believe what you want to believe. I don't think it's a, a tragic matter of orthodoxy, or I don't think you'll be a heretic if you think different than me. But I do think this. I think only John the Baptist and Jesus saw the dove coming down, and here's why. Had the thousands of people seen the heavens roll back, I don't think Jesus is going to skip off into the wilderness, which is what he does in the next verse, by himself. Do you follow what I'm saying? To me, the context seems to flow. And here in Matthew and in Mark, both the way the words are, it seems to indicate that maybe only John and Jesus saw this. Luke, the way he records it, it's a little more vague. But when you re if you only read Luke, you could very easily get the picture that we all saw it. We were all there, we all saw it. But if you read John, John saw it because he said, God told me when you see it, you'll know that's the guy. Matthew and Mark kind of leave you hanging and go, only Jesus saw this, kind of. But I think Jesus and John saw this, all right? Um, Jesus said, permit it, verse 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water Many Baptists would say, see, that's what baptism, real baptism is. You've got to go under the water and come up. Uh, uh, I believe that, but uh, I think sometimes we get a little tore out of the frame, arguing with uh, like-minded 
believers on certain things. If you don't want to believe that, that's fine. I think that's what the Bible teaches. I think that's the most appropriate. Um, but Jesus is baptized, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw. Do y'all see that? It doesn't say they. It says he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Now, the way the, the sentence is, is structured in the Greek, the he and the him are the same person. So the him who it lights on is the he who saw it. All right? So Jesus saw it, and John testified, John the Baptist testified over in the Gospel of John. That's how he knew who Jesus was. He's like, I knew Jesus was a great guy. Right? I knew he was stellar. That's why he said, like, I'm not going to bet. You need to baptize me, Jesus. We've been homeboys for 30 years. I know how good of a guy you are. Won't you baptize me? And Jesus is like, no. No, bro, I got to show you something. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And he's baptized, and the heavens open. The Spirit descends, and John goes, Oh, woo-hoo, woo, that's a secret. All right, we're not going to tell everybody right now. Anyway, verse 17, And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That is an adaptation of a quote from Psalm 2. That's free for your dollar. Write it down. Study it. Now, let's see if we can't speed through chapter 4. Yeah, right. Here we go. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to Jesus, If, and I'm not saying you are, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And again, we're up in the wilderness. Now, now I want to be very guarded. Where this area is, where Jesus went, it's not just all necessarily just rocks. Wilderness can be any untamed area. Okay? I could drop you off in the middle of Bonneville National Forest, and it would be just as much the wilderness as if I dropped you in the middle of the Sahara. Okay? It's one and the same. It's an uninhabited, untamed location. So where Jesus goes is not just this big pile of rocks with sand everywhere, though in my mind, because I was raised in small Christian academies, the flannel graphs and the pictures seem to indicate that's what Jesus was doing. So that's kind of my mental picture, but that's not the picture that is being driven to us or, or drawn out for us by Scripture. But Jesus answered this tempter, and he says, It's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the first temptation that, that we believe, the embodiment of evil here, Satan himself comes to Jesus and says, Hey, bro, you're hungry. Won't you eat? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why this is such a big deal. Like, from a logistical standpoint. Like, he's hungry. That's all right. It's 40 days. He fasted for 40 days. He planned on eating 40 days. But I think here's the problem. We don't follow anybody's edict but God's. So if someone else comes in with something strikingly similar, we still have to reject it, right? It's got to be God's instruction. God has a plan for Jesus, and maybe Jesus understood that, that after 40 days something was going to happen for him. Uh, but Jesus, uh, Satan is like, hey, let's short-circuit that. You're hungry. Let's go ahead and turn this into some bread. And then in verse 5, the devil took Jesus into the holy city. Now, it should be notated that other gospels get these temptations in different orders, okay? That's not a problem for us. Matthew is following a very specific script. He's building, the way he builds his narrative goes from the smallest to the largest. The way the other gospel writers indicate, it has a different purpose, a different agenda. And by the way, there may have been more than three temptations. Has anybody ever thought about that? 
These are the three that Jesus thought to teach his disciples because he, he felt they were important at some, for some reason. Hey, I was out there, and he told the story. He didn't say one, two, and three, right? We do that. But over the course of this temptation, we don't know how long this lasted, and there could have been multiple temptations, but Jesus is going to combat. And these three in particular illustrate something in Jesus' teaching to his disciples and Matthew the disciple to us. I think the first one was testing his humanity, and the devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, if you're, if, and I'm not saying you are, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on the other hand, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not test, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I believe this temptation was tempting Jesus' divinity. Prove it. Now, what's the problem with proving it? How long has Jesus been in public ministry at this point? 41 days, <laughs> give or take, right? And most of that has been by himself in the wilderness. Yep. Um... This is one of the reasons why I don't think everybody witnessed the, the sky opening up and the spirit descending. Jesus is not ready yet to show his hand. I'm not going to show you all my cards. I'm going to slowly and progressively show you a little more of who I am until the very end, and then it's all going to come together at the cross. I'm going to get resurrected, and we're going to pull a fast one on the devil. He'll, he's going to never know what hit him, right? What is the devil trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to do the, air quotes, the plan, but do it in a way that is not in consistency with the Father's plan. Do it your own way. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like a similar temptation back in the garden? What, what, look, really, if come on, just this little bitty change, is God really going to, come on. No, 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 Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And he says, don't put me to the test. And again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, this is free for your dollars. It's a cool little story. I get invited to a lot of weddings. I get invited to do a lot of weddings. I try to turn a lot of weddings down. Weddings are the worst. I would rather preach 10 funerals than one wedding. Because um, there's so many dynamics that are happening at a wedding. You got her side of the family and his side of the family. And most of you got him and her, and they just want to get married, and everybody else has this drama. And uh, anyway, there's just a lot going on. Well, this one particular wedding I got invited to do, and, and you know how they have the table set up, and you got your little placard, Reverend Caleb Clark, come sit right here. And then the, they had these little scripture cards out beside all the little placards, and it was just a sweet little thing. But here's the problem. You never read just a scripture, right? You never just read one passage because you're going to rip it from its contextual roots. Well, sitting next to my name was a passage from, first, uh, from Matthew chapter 4, verse 9. It says, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> That's the devil. I mean, I mean... Literally, that's the devil. Uh, so if you ever hear a preacher preach that if you follow Jesus and he'll give you all your hopes, dreams, and ambitions, it's probably not the Lord's preacher, you know? Um, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, 
get out of here, Satan. <laughs> and my Bible says go, but that's the sentiment. Get out of here. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He was, Satan was challenging Jesus' authority. This is hilarious. Jesus is the master of the universe, and Satan's like, hey, I'll give you this snicker bar if you worship me. And he's like, I own the factory, dude. <laughs> like, you're not promising. Get out of here. He was challenging Jesus' authority, and Jesus like, I'm not showing you my hand. I'm not showing you the secrets. I got stuff. You're not. When it happens, you're not going to believe you fell for it, and I'm not going to show you. Nana, nana, boo boo. Uh, and the devil left Jesus, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now, I'm going to pause there just for a second. Let's let's undo some things. Back in the Old Testament, a very interesting thing occurred. God rose up a prophet by the name of Moses. Y'all remember him? And Moses, God called back to Egypt to liberate his people. Y'all remember that story out of Exodus? And they, uh, Moses went down, he got the people of God, and he put them on a journey. And they got up to the promised land. They sent in 12 spies. Ten came back with a bad report and says, we can't take it. And uh, God says, fine, have it your way. And he says, but anyone over the age of 20 is going to die. But before that happens, you're going to wander in the wilderness for how long? Do you recall? 40 years. 40 years of wandering. And after 40 years of wandering and the last person had died uh, that was supposed to die, God called everyone back together. Moses himself dies, and another man comes to power as the leader of the nation. And who is that God? Y'all remember? Joshua. Joshua is his name. And Joshua gets together the people of God, and they're going to walk over to a city called Jericho and fight them. But before they do that, they have to go through a body of water. Y'all recall what river they had to cross? Oh, look, at, are you kidding me? They had to go across the Jordan. Are we back there? Sorry, let me get there. Are we there? Boop, 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 boop. Someone else is trying to join. That's why it stole it. Because Anna's phone. Who's Anna? Where's Anna Lowe? Is that, is that your phone? No, you're not even Anna. Uh, all right, so I can't show you. Moses comes through the wilderness for 40 years with a message from God, angel, messenger. He comes from it with a message, spends 40 years in the wilderness. God takes a guy named Joshua, takes him across the Jordan River, and they go destroy what city? Jericho. Jericho. I want to watch, pay attention. This is cool. Jesus comes from Galilee and has to hit what city on his way to go hear John the Baptist preach? He hits Jericho. He goes through the Jordan. How do we know he goes through the Jordan? Because he was baptized in it. He went through the Jordan and then went to the wilderness for how long? 40 days, and at the end was ministered to by angels. Listen, Jesus did in reverse all the struggle of the people of God to that point. He says, all that stuff that y'all went through, I am going to take on myself, and I'm going to reverse the curse if you will follow me. Look at verse 17. 
after Jesus had done a couple of things, he began to preach in Galilee, Rankin Scott County. He was preaching there for about eight or nine months. And here's what Jesus was preaching in verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was he preaching? The same thing John was preaching. Why? Because he was about the kingdom of God. All right. We're going to pause there. Uh, we didn't get to finish this, but there's a lot of cool stuff that happened here. Between Jesus' baptism and the calling of the first disciple in verse 18, which we'll pick up next week, almost a year has passed. This isn't boom, 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 boom. There's a whole period of time that's going to that's gonna take place. All right, let me hit pause. All right, questions.